Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. It's episode 32, Measure Content Marketing Analytics for Each Stage of the Funnel, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. So Chris, this is a happy hour. And of course, what happy hour is complete without a few drinks? What do you have in front of you? So Ryan, I am back to beer this week. Last week, I enjoyed some uh, Woodford Reserve uh, Kentucky bourbon, which was great for the holiday. Usually, I'm drinking a craft beer, but I am back to an original Sam Adams, but the uh, the winter lager version, which is another one I enjoy. What about you? Yeah, I we both were kind of enjoying the uh, the bourbon over Thanksgiving and uh, still sipping on that, but definitely like my wine. And recently was having some, you know, with Thanksgiving, a Pinot Noir, and it was fantastic and still sort of drinking it. So I am uh, sticking with the uh, the red wine today. Very nice. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you so much for continuing to join us. If you happen to find value in this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. In this episode, we are going to break down and go through each stage of the marketing funnel and discuss the metrics that matter to your content marketing success. So here's a spoiler alert. If you're looking for a list of metrics so that you can configure your analytics dashboard, you're not going to get it in this episode. Don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about some of the metrics that you can and should be using, but there are two primary things that you should be measuring. After that, it's about setting expectations so you can choose the right metrics to accurately measure those two items. So Ryan, what are the two things we're focused on? So Chris, we're going to focus on engagement and conversions. Very important. Sometimes people overlook some of those. Other times you put too much emphasis on conversions when maybe you should be focused more on engagement based on the content type that you're using. But before we get started, Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Profs came up with a study in July of 2020, and I think it's very relevant. The question was posed, does your B2B organization use metrics to measure content performance? The answer they found was that 81% measure their content. To me, what's surprising is there's an additional 19% not measuring content. So we want to start with there. It's about 80-20. 80% of you are measuring it, at least to some capacity, and about 20% of you are not measuring. So a couple of things we're going to talk about when you start at the top. And when I say start at the top, it's top of the funnel. This is that awareness stage. And one of the primary areas you want to focus on when you're looking at awareness, when you're looking at marketing metrics, is engagement. There's a couple of easy metrics I think it's great to look at when you're talking about engagement. First thing you want to do is look at social shares. When you're 
posting content on a Facebook, on an Instagram, on a TikTok. You want to see how people are consuming it. Not only are they consuming it, but are they sharing it? How many people shared your content? Make sure you're posting on the platforms that are relevant to your audience, first and foremost, not where you want to be. You got to go to where they are. So see if people are engaging with your, your content. Another way too, if the platform has offers it is the comments. That's a huge engagement. Facebook, you know, is obviously big and Instagram is big on comments. TikTok is enormous for that. How many people took the time to write something? Use that as marketing research, not just the fact that they commented on it, but what are they writing about? Are you starting to see the same comments on it? Or maybe it's not like, hey, great post, but they actually have a question that they're posing on it. And if they are, that's going to give you some content ideas down the road that maybe you want to address that. So with engagement, look at social shares and look at comments. Another objective that people use when creating content is you always hear this and it is all about creating brand awareness. Now, a few episodes ago, and I can't remember which one, Chris, you talked about it when we talked about setting up goals. Brand awareness is not a goal. Brand awareness is an objective. How do you measure objectives with a brand awareness? First, you want to look at the reach. How many people actually saw a particular piece of content? And that could be looking in Google Analytics to see page views, for example, on there. Looking at reach is a metric in Facebook, for example. So there's various platforms that you can use to find reach. Next is new visits. How many of your visitors were new to the site? When it comes to looking at organic traffic, for example, to me, one of the best barometers of your SEO is looking at, in Google Analytics, looking at organic traffic from new users. It's good to see the overall health of your organic, but if you want to measure SEO, and especially in a brand awareness campaign, look at new users that are finding you organically. And then speaking on SEO, another metric to look at with brand awareness and the value of your content that you're putting out there are people linking to it. You know, How many other sites, pages, are linking back to your content. There's a ton of third-party tools. Some of them are premium that you can use to find that. But when we're talking about engagement and brand awareness, those are the questions you need to ask yourself and some of the key metrics to look at when you're evaluating. And you can always use one of our favorite tools, Google Analytics, which will give you a lot of this stuff completely free of charge. It is actually surprising to me that in 2020, there are still 19% of businesses that are not measuring their content. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but this idea that, you know, you're producing content, you're doing, a, you know, all of this work to produce something that's useful. And if you're not taking the time to measure it, how do you know if you're producing the right content? How do you know if you're reaching your audience? How do you know if you're achieving your goals? If you if you don't know where you are uh, and you don't have a clear idea of where you want to go, then any step's going to take you there. So you absolutely have to be measuring it. But as Ryan said, if you're focused on a couple of the key areas of engagement and conversions, you'll be able to accurately measure and determine if you're getting the results that you need and you know kind of where you should take your next step, what that next direction looks like. It's one of the things that Ryan and I frequently do with the very podcast that you're listening to. 
We'll have some ideas for different content topics that we want to talk about based on things that are happening in the news or, you know, we get a lot of social engagement from listeners of the show that ask questions and so we'll decide to unpack it. But the other side of it is we look at which episodes are getting play at different points in the year and we'll use that to determine, you know, all right, well, these episodes are getting some engagement right now, so perhaps we should create some content to augment that to add to sort of the repertoire of things that, you know, people might choose to consume. And, you know, you make a really good point about brand awareness there. It's so funny. I hear brand awareness as a goal pretty frequently, and brand awareness simply doesn't pay the bills. There is a concept of or a concept around brand awareness, I should say, where, well, the reason I want to raise my brand awareness is so that when people are in the right frame of mind, if they are aware of my brand, they'll make a purchasing decision. And I think that might work for certain industries, but not for the majority of them. You know, for the majority of them, people are looking to solve a problem. And so awareness might be a reasonable objective, but it should always be tied to other stricter goals that the organization has created. 100%, absolutely. A couple other key metrics that you should look at. Number one, in Google Analytics, look at what device people are using when they and consume your content. So if you're getting a lot of mobile traffic, now, typically you see about roughly approximately two thirds of traffic coming to your website will be on a mobile device. You need to look at how long they're staying on your site. You need to look at, obviously, if there is a bounce, we'll get into that in a second. And also, what channels are they coming through? Those are all things to monitor, and you need to set little benchmarks for yourself. In 2020 and in 2021, and it'll keep going forward, if your website to this date is still not optimized for a mobile device, you're in a world of hurt. There are many things that need to be done for websites. But if you're not optimizing it for mobile, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And you could be attracting people to your website. Maybe you have great Facebook posts, things like that. But when they come to your website, if you're not optimized for mobile, it's a bad user experience and they're going to leave. And it's not because maybe your content isn't that good. It's because your website probably sucks. So those are things that you really need to look at and measure and see, okay, where are they coming from? Maybe they're not spending a lot of time on the website and see if there's a difference between people who are on their mobile and maybe people who are coming on their desktop or a tablet. You need to start looking at different patterns and seeing if there is a story there to tell. Sessions by source, pretty obvious. Where are you putting your content out there? If you're putting a lot of social media you know, content, great. Are they coming to your site? Are they returning visitors to your site? Or has social media been just attracting new people to your site? That will better understand the type of content that you're going out there and the audience that could be reaching you. So that is also very important. And of course, you know, when people come to your site, what pages are they viewing? You get a lot of people to your homepage. Okay, that's that's not uncommon. But after that, is there certain blog posts that people are coming to? You know, we had Jason Osborne a few episodes ago, and he talked about that there was one specific video, I believe he said, that a piece of content that people were coming to, and he produced a whole bunch. And once he found that out, he found that one piece of content that really stuck with people and they wanted more information on. So he started creating more content around that. So page views is good to see what pages people are going to. And then the last metric here we talk about, let's clear this up, Chris. It's all about bounce rates. And I think there's a lot of people just aren't really sure what it means or their perception of what a bounce is, is not necessarily 
clear and they don't have a good understanding of it. When we talk about bounce rates, bounce rate means basically they came to that page and they didn't take another action on the website at all. And then they left. I think when you evaluate bounce rate, you need to look at that specific page and ask yourself, what is the action that you want that user to take when they land on your website? If it's a blog post, did they read the blog post? In that blog post, did you send them to another page? Maybe it's a different article. Did you send them to a landing page because you have a lead magnet there that you want to have them download a guide that maybe enhances that blog post for the user? So there's a lot of things you need to ask yourself when you're looking at a bounce rate. Not all high bounce rates are necessarily bad. What you need to do is look at it and ask yourself the question, why is there a high bounce rate? And if you have a page that has no call to action, no CTA, you're not telling them what to do next. That could be a reason for a high bounce rate. You bring up an excellent point, Ryan, and that's asking the question why when you're looking at any metric. And I think this is probably a good opportunity to circle back to something we started the show off on, which is to say we're focusing primarily on engagement metrics and conversion metrics. What types of metrics you choose to evaluate under the bucket of engagement or under the bucket of conversion is up to you and your organization. But to the point that Ryan just made, you should be asking yourself with each piece of content that you're producing for each of the different stages in the funnel, who is the audience this is intended for and what is the action that I want them to take? And that's how you determine what components of engagement to track and what components of conversion to track. So for engagement, you know, Ryan mentioned several stats already, right? Are people sharing it on social media sites? Are they commenting on it? Are they linking to it, right? If you're talking about a piece of content on your website, are they sharing the link on their own website or their own platforms? Are they emailing it to other individuals? Is that the type of engagement that you expect to see? If not, why not? And if so, is it in line with your expectations? And what are some of the other metrics that you could be using? And conversion works the same way, right? At the top of the funnel, the conversion might be simply getting somebody to fill out a form. At the bottom of the funnel, you are focused on a sale, typically, or maybe even more so than a sale, a referral, right? You know, referring other customers to your business because they had a great experience with you. And that's why we say everything is really kind of broken out into engagement and conversion because all of the metrics that you should be most concerned about will fall into one of those buckets. We also happen to come across a infographic here that was produced by the Content Marketing Institute that talks about some of the primary content performance metrics organizations are looking at. And Ryan, I think this is worth exploring a little bit. Yeah, we're going to definitely unpack this. So the question was posed, what metrics do you track to measure content performance over the last 12 months? And so this is pretty relevant, even in the uh, the COVID pandemic era, where we know things change and behaviors change. So this is still relevant results. But what's not surprising is the number one metric that people use for content marketing performance is their website traffic. 90% of marketers say that's what they look at first and foremost, the most important. That would include the page views, what content are people looking at, right? That makes sense. But also the number of backlinks. So this is a lot of SEO that people are, are taking a look at. And again, we talked about that briefly. A backlink, in case you're not familiar, is basically just another website sending a link on their website to your website and sending traffic. Google loves that, to see that. That, that has huge, huge weight in the SEO world. But it's also a good way to see about 
your content. You know, if you have good, valuable content, people will link to it. And that's a good signal to see that you have a high performing content. And with website traffic, we're talking about that first pillar of digital marketing, search, which if you go back to episode 29, you can listen in and learn a lot more about that. But a lot of the metrics that Ryan just mentioned, page views, backlinks, things like that, are ways that you're measuring how your search traffic is performing on your website. And that's an important top of the funnel metric. As we start to work our way a little bit further down the funnel, the next thing we'll talk about is email engagement. Again, email is the third pillar of digital marketing. So if you go back and listen to last week's episode, episode 31, we spent the whole episode talking about the importance of email marketing. With email engagement, you know, you're nurturing that list of leads that you have. So you should be looking at what your open rate is. And again, I'm, I'm giving you some general metrics to look at, but you should be looking at these by audience segment. Understand which emails are resonating with which segments of the audience that you've got. So what is the open rate? Is it what you expect it to be? How does that compare to the industry average for whatever your industry is? Clicks. Every email should have one clear call to action. Are the recipients of the email clicking on that call to action? Are they engaging with it? And are they downloading? Are they following through? Some advanced email providers can also provide other stats, such as the amount of time spent engaging in the email. And basically, you know, the one that I think of, Ryan, when I think of email engagement is HubSpot, which tracks whether something was glanced, skimmed, or read, which can be very useful to determine how people are actually, you know, taking the time to engage with that email. Yeah, and with emails, right, you have to get an email address before you can send emails. So that would definitely be in that sort of middle of the funnel when you get that email address and you are nurturing those leads. As, you know, we learned last week, you know, mass communication doesn't really work as well as when you can personalize and segment your list out. So if you, you haven't done that, please go back and listen to episode 31, all about email. Next Website engagement. And now this metric is, is huge for your content, and it can be all aspects of the funnel. It's not just the top, it's not just the middle, or just the bottom. It's really all of it. And you want to see how people are interacting with your content. How long are they spending? This is your website engagement. We talked about a little bit about the bounce rates. Are they engaging? Are they going to your landing pages that you have? Or are they filling out you know, your contact us, for example? Website engagement actually was the third highest metric that marketers are using to, uh, to measure their content. For me, the biggest level of website engagement is the leads that you're generating, right? If the purpose of the website is to inform and generate leads, is it succeeding at doing that job? And you mentioned several other important statistics, Ryan, in terms of time spent, bounce rate, things like that. But for me, it really comes down to, you know, are you getting signups? Are you getting conversions on the website? Are they engaging enough with the content such that they're willing to hand over their email address? So I think that's an important one. And speaking of conversions, we're talking about conversions of all types, right? So are you converting traffic to your website into subscribers? When we're talking about traffic to subscribers, that primarily is, you know, are individuals that are coming to your website, really your blog, are they subscribing so they can get new content as it's published? But it could apply to other areas as well. But that's also things like leads to sales, right? If you're getting somebody that comes to your website and they fill out an online form and they express interest, how many of those leads actually convert and become paying customers? Once they're a paying customer, how many of those paying customers refer other customers to you? Conversions are a critical component of any business, and you need to determine what are the ones that are most important to you so you can be tracking them at each stage of the funnel. 
Yeah, Chris, and it still kind of surprises me that conversions, whether it is leads or sales, was actually the fourth most tracked from content. I actually, you would think that would be higher. I can understand website traffic because it's hard to convert somebody if they are not coming to your website, right? So I get why website traffic is number one, but you know the, the fact uh, conversions was the fourth most tracked metric. I thought was relatively low. But then again, I think that only 81% are measuring content is also really low. So maybe that that falls in line with that as well. Social media analytics. This is a lot of your top of the funnel. So when you're promoting content on social media, there's two places you want to look. One is always Google Analytics to see what happens when they get to your website. But also it's important to look at the analytics from whatever social media platform that you're using, whether it's Facebook and Instagram, it, whether it's TikTok, Twitter, whatever it is, you need to size up and look at the analytics from the social media platform and compare it to what you're seeing when you're looking at Google Analytics. They're not going to be the same. So, so don't get upset if, if you're not really comfortable with analytics, you're not sure about it. When you're looking at it's good to compare, but don't be upset if you're seeing Facebook has a lot higher people who are clicking the links than actually you're seeing coming from Facebook into to your website and Google Analytics. Again, they're not going to line up. Sometimes I think some of the social media sites, I don't want to say that they're inflating the numbers, but they're going to give you a little bit higher number. So for example, Facebook has two metrics, right? They're going to have a metric where they click your content, click the link on your content. But there's another metric, it's called a landing page view. As we know, most people on social media are consuming that content from their mobile device. We all know about fat thumbs. A lot of times you misclick things, it happens. The landing page view metric in Facebook means they clicked the link, then they got to your website and were there for at least, I think it's three seconds minimum. Once that happens, then they count that. That's the metric you want to look at when you're looking at Facebook and social media analytics, specifically Facebook. Not that they just click the link but you want to look at landing page views. And then you can start to get an idea of how many people are clicking the link. And then maybe it was a misclick. And as soon as they click it, they bail. They realize, you know, a new window's opening up and they exit out of that. So you will see it's a significant, in some cases, it can be a significantly smaller number. I've seen, uh, you know, some clients have two thirds of, you know, did not wait, make it to the landing page and it load for three seconds. So it's important to understand when you're looking at social media analytics, you kind of have to peel the onion back a little bit. You can't take everything at face value. Don't just look at unique clicks, for example, but see how many people, landed on the page and then compare that number, that'll be a little bit closer to maybe what Google Analytics is reporting to you. So to recap real quick, where we're at with top of the funnel metrics, website traffic is definitely one of them. And social media analytics, you want to compare both your social media platform as well as Google Analytics. And just understand there won't be a one-to-one -one comparison in the numbers. That's a really important point, Ryan. I can't tell you how many different analytics platforms I've worked with at this stage in my career, and they never line up. I mean, whether it's a timing sequence thing, whether it's the type of thing that the platforms are measuring is slightly different, there's never a one-to-one -one alignment. And that can be okay, as long as you've identified what it is you're trying to get out of each of them so that you internally can consistently track the numbers that you're looking for. So we talked about social media analytics. We talked about email engagement. Another key metric to track is your email subscriber numbers. Over time, 
you hope, at least you should hope, that your email subscriber numbers are climbing. More people are subscribing to your emails. You can track that in aggregate or in total. You can also track it by segment. You know, for some individuals, they only have one list. So you're really looking at a raw number there. But for larger organizations, they might have different types or, or categories of emails that they're sending out, right? And so you want to track each of those categories for the total number of subscriptions. Another important metric to track, though, is not just the growth, but the churn with the list. An email is only good as long as the individual on the other end is receiving and engaging with those emails. So over time, every vertical, every industry has a certain amount of churn that occurs with their list. Individuals that are no longer interested, email addresses that go bad, you know, any number of factors that could, could influence the, the churn rate. Another aspect of churn is, are the emails you're sending any good? If you're sending out, you know, if you're right now on a cadence of sending one email a week to your audience and all of a sudden you're trying to push the sale of some product and you send out three or four emails in a given week, do you get a higher number of unsubscribes, which then makes your, your email list a little bit less impactful? So you should be looking at the growth, but you should also be looking at that churn and that unsubscribe rate as well. No, I think that's important. Clearly, uh, these are people who want more information from you. I think it gives you an idea. Uh, and, and also, it's good to look at and see at what page did they convert. So if they're reading one specific blog post and you have a pop-up on that page uh, or you have a form maybe on a sidebar to see that that's the page they subscribed on, that gives you an idea of that content piece clearly is valuable and they're giving you their email address because they want to hear from you to, you know, continue to solve their problems and add value. Also, the email address is a currency in marketing. It is very valuable and there is a lot that you can do with it. We're going to do a deep dive into Facebook advertising here coming up. And with that, we're going to show you how an email address can be powerful. Now, a lot of you already know what you can do with it with uploading into Facebook. So I'm not going to get into it now. We'll, we'll dig deeper into it then. But that's also another reason why the, the amount of email addresses that you're able to obtain, it's not just for emails, but you can use it in other ways, like for Facebook advertising as an example, not reinventing the wheel there, but showing you that email addresses are extremely important and there are multiple ways that you can use them. So you definitely want to have that as a metric. The next we're going to talk about is search rankings. Again, that is something that can be a little bit higher in the, the funnel when people are looking for specific content. What I find interesting here is the CMI marketing profs results came back that search rankings is at 57%. My guess is, and I don't have any stats on that, this is a metric that is declining in popularity. I bet you five years ago, there was significantly more people who use that metric. Now about 57. I think it's something you keep an eye on, but I'm not surprised to see it at 57% and that will continue to go down. Google has done a really good job of communicating to businesses that search rankings and keywords is not as important as it used to be. Google's smarter now. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. Google better understands context. And you see that when you mistype words and Google comes back and says, did you mean? Okay. So keywords is less important than it used to be. You still need to include them, but don't put all of your focus on what your search ranking is. You want to put your focus more on the types of traffic and engagement you're getting, like we're talking about from the other metrics. 
Part of the problem you have with search rankings is that it's not a reliably and consistently traceable metric, right? Both of us are here in the Tampa Bay area, and if we search for a particular phrase, we might get entirely different results, even though geographically we're not very far from each other. It's also possible that I could search for a particular search phrase here in Tampa, then I could drive the hour and a half over to Orlando here in Florida and run the exact same search phrase on the exact same device and get completely different results because I'm in a different geographical area. So the problem with accurately tracking search rankings is that it's not a reliable metric by which to track. So I think your advice of, you know, keep an eye on it, but don't make key decisions off of it is a very important point. Another metric we'll talk about is qualified leads. And this is a phrase in the industry, whether something is a marketing qualified lead or a sales qualified lead. Marketing qualified leads are usually a little bit earlier in the buying process. Usually they require a little bit more information before they're ready to make a purchase. And so, you know, they're considered sort of top of the funnel in the lead category. When they're a little bit further along in their buying journey and when they're ready to make a purchase, that's when they become more of a sales qualified lead. And that's also one of the ways large organizations like to track their leads, because if they have a staff of salespeople, they need to know at what point is a lead ready to be handed over to a salesperson so they can start to have some more in-depth sales conversations. Yeah. And to add on to what you're saying, Chris, which I think was spot on, with the marketing qualified leads, and I'll focus on that since most of our audience you know, has, has a marketing focus, when someone converts and you have their information a way you can qualify them, and that's the next question is how do you how do you qualify? Is you want to continue to pepper them with you know a drip email marketing campaign, pepper them with with emails where it's content and you continuously push them slowly down the marketing funnel. So you go from a broader, wider to a little bit more specific to you start off with problem solving. And then you want to slowly pepper them with information that's more about your product. You don't want to do it about your product right away because they just learned about you in that sort of brand awareness stage. And you don't want to immediately turn around and say, here's my product, buy it because it's fantastic and has all these features to it. You'll probably lose them. But if you steadily drip them content that kind of goes from that broader problem solving stage to giving them value, showing them that you're an expert in these areas, that they can build trust with you. And then towards that bottom of the funnel, you send them that information that buy now. How you can gauge that once you have that sort of workflow set up with your emails and your content. Using an email service provider, HubSpot is great with this. I know ConvertKit can do this. Uh, MailChimp, I know can do this. Salesforce uh, can do this. So a lot of the big ones all have this automated workflow with emails. And what's great about it is you can see what are the emails that people are opening and then what are the emails that they're opening and engaging with and clicking through. And if all of a sudden you see you have maybe five emails queued up and they're, you're sending them out every every few days, maybe. And then you see you get to email number four and nobody opens it or they open it. Nobody clicks on it. Those are the metrics you need to look at and say, okay, what can we do differently? Are we moving too fast? Or is our messaging wrong? So those are ways that you can qualify the leads. And there's a lead scoring. Uh, we're not getting into that. And, and you can score if they download a certain material, then they get a certain amount of points. And then when they hit certain uh, that account in the CRM, they have a certain score. All of a sudden now sales takes over because they are now qualified. So there's, there's various ways that you can do it depending on your resources. However, I think qualifying these leads is important. I will say this, moving forward, 
in the 2020s that we're in, in 2021, this is something that is going to climb. People are, marketers are getting better at this. Uh, they're not there yet, but this is an important one. You, you don't just look at your conversions. Now you have a conversion, that's great, but you have to qualify them. And so you need to look at the different metrics that qualify them. The other thing moving forward to that, that I think is going to be more popular is marketers coming up with the lifetime customer value. That is also important to better understand that. So not going to get into that today, but those are things if you're not really familiar with at this point, that's something you, you need to learn. And maybe we'll do a podcast on that in, in the future. Now we're getting towards the bottom of things that are the most popular of metrics to look at. Something that maybe 10 years ago would have been number one, and that has to do with public relations. How often are you being mentioned based off your content and your media coverage? It used to be trade publications used to write about you, and that was fantastic. There are still trade publications, mostly all digital now. And it's still great to look at those, but I think those are definitely not like they used to be. And I think in the world of influencers, I think you're seeing that maybe overtake a little bit. Is a micro-influencer or a nano-influencer talking about your product that almost is now replacing sort of the public relations mentions that used to be of five years ago, 10 years ago now? Yeah, that's such a key point, Ryan. I'm really glad you brought that up. Influencers, I think, have largely replaced PR or public relations, as it were. And if you want to learn more about influencers, I'd recommend you go back and check out The Age of Influence with Neil Schaefer. He was on the podcast with us just a few months ago and dropped some very useful information about how to work with you know, the micro-influencers and the nano-influencers in order to really reach your audience. And then the final metric that is on this list by Content Marketing Institute is cost to acquire, which is basically what is your cost to acquire a lead, your cost to acquire a subscriber, and probably the most important metric, your cost to acquire a customer. I'm always blown away with the number of organizations that I talk to that don't know what this metric is. You absolutely need to know what does it cost you in terms of your marketing effort, in terms of your sales effort, in terms of, you know, all the work that goes, you know, behind the scenes into acquiring a customer. Because when you have to make marketing decisions, when you have to determine whether to purchase this ad or to place an ad in that publication or, you know, where you're going to be spending your money, you need to know, is that a wise investment given what it costs our organization to acquire a customer? And if you work your way up the funnel, a subscriber and a lead as well, right? If you know how much it costs you to acquire a lead and you know 15% of your leads are likely to become customers, then you can calculate the averages that you need in order to make the right business decisions at the very bottom of the funnel. And that's super important, Ryan. I also want to clarify, when we're looking at all these metrics, depending on your position in your organization, what metrics you report to your superior is going to be different. If you are the director of marketing and you're going to meet with your CMO or the C-suite and executive team, and they want to understand more about marketing, they're not going to care about page views. But what Chris just talked about, what the cost to acquire a lead is, the increase in marketing qualified leads, things like that, that come down to the money because the C-suites and the executives some of them, depending on some organizations, you know, marketing is an expense and that's how they view it. And you have to show some ROI for your own company. 
Now, when you're with an agency and they have clients, you're always having to show the ROI to show that the money that they're paying you is, is worthwhile to them. You have, in your internal organization, you have to think of the same way. Not, not every organization is like this, but a lot are that didn't come from that marketing background. They maybe came from product development and now they're running the organization and they don't fully always understand marketing. So when you're reporting metrics to them, you need to have the investment and value associated with that. So CPA, cost per acquisition, how much money did it cost to obtain a new customer? So report those metrics, don't report page views, things like that. So I wanted to clarify that also when you're reporting on your data and you like to show increases in percentages year over year, put some context and and don't try to pull the wool over other people's eyes. So here's an example. If you're doing a report and let's say, and I'll go to page views and your page views went up on a specific content piece year over year, you saw 300% increase on that. That is great. However, if you went from a hundred page views to 400 page views, that's different than maybe if a year ago you only had 10 page views and you went up to 40 page views. So when you're going to have these astronomical huge increases, put some context. Don't tell somebody you you had a 300% increase, but really all you did was you gained 30 page views. I think be a little bit more honest with that and add context around some of the data that you have. Chris, one more item I want to cover before we wrap this up. Looking over sort of the last three years, you know, creating brand awareness is, of course, number one at 87%, and it's been increasing from two years ago. One thing that was interesting, the percentage of marketers reporting success with using content marketing has increased steadily over the last three years. However, this year, talking about 2020 now, was a decrease in those who reported using it to nurture their subscribers, their audiences, and their leads. That absolutely kind of blew me away and not in a positive. Using content to nurture your audience, your leads, it actually has decreased. And I'm not 100% sure why that was. I just want to kind of go back. We've already talked about this. Focus on the content you're creating for your leads and kind of push them down the funnel. This is a metric that you need to look at, as we talked about, and create content specifically for that audience. As Chris said, segment that audience and create content for that audience. So I kind of wanted to focus on that because it was really surprising that that lost importance of what to measure. So two years ago, it was almost 70%. I should say last year, it was almost 70%. And this year, it actually dropped down to 60%. That should be much higher. The content that you're creating for your subscribers, for your leads should be extremely important. And with that, Chris, going over all of the content marketing metrics that people need to focus in on and and the different parts of the funnel that are important, what's one takeaway you have for our audience? So my takeaway would be don't overcomplicate the measurement process. We talked about engagement and conversion being the two primary buckets. Pick a few key performance indicators for the content that you want to measure and measure it. And if you get a chance to look at other data, great. But focus on the things that are most important to you. Measure it within context. I think seasonality is important, Ryan. It's one of the things you talked about year over year. We've worked with some clients, you know, for example, in the education industry. You can't compare the month of October to the month of April, for example. They're very, very different. So you really have to look at data in context year over year. But as long as you're doing that, keep it simple. 
and track it consistently, and that will tell you how you're doing. What about you, Ryan? What's your one takeaway from this episode? You know, I would encourage everyone to challenge what they're looking at with analytics. I was in grad school and this was like one of the, I would say a few things, but this is, this is one of the big things that really stuck with me from that. And I took this class and it was challenge everything, everything you see challenge. And what the professor meant by that was ask questions, ask why. When you're looking at your analytics, you have to peel the layers of the onions back a little bit. Ask, why is that? If you have a high bounce rate, ask why. If you're getting to a page that you're having a lot of conversions, do the same thing, challenge it. Why is it doing that? And you start to get answers on either way. So I would say when you're looking at everything in analytics, question it, ask why, and don't always take everything at face value. So if someone says, again, you had increases on something 300%, also ask, well, what are the raw numbers? Because context is everything. Very important, Ryan. So that will wrap another episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But as you know by now, no episode is complete without the Keep It Light segment. Ryan, what are you reading or binge watching this week? So sometimes when new shows start where they drip the content out, I'll actually wait sometimes a few weeks because, you know, we're now trained. Thank you, Netflix, to binge everything. I waited a few weeks and I just started. It's not over yet, but on HBO is The Undoing. Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. So I don't know if you saw Big Little Eyes. It's had two seasons out. They're coming out with a season three. Uh, David E. Kelly wrote that. And he also wrote The Undoing. Both have Nicole Kidman in it. Similar storylines. There's a little bit of overlap in it, but it is absolutely fantastic. And I highly recommend it. At this time, I think there's only six or seven episodes available. And I think I burned through six episodes in like three days. So that right now is what I'm consuming. It's it, If you like... Big Little Lies, you're going to love Undoing. What are you watching or reading? Uh, well, as you know, I've been watching a lot of TV lately, like a ridiculous amount. So I went through a ton of shows. It's actually really good. But uh, this time of year, I always uh, try to wrap up with something a little bit more productive. And so I started reading again. And I picked up a book that's been, you know, probably on my shelf for a little over a year at this point called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which is a Dan Pink book who wrote Drive, which is something I read several years ago and always been a fan of his work. And it's based on the science behind timing and how, you know, people are different types of birds, whether you're a night owl or you're a lark, and, you know, sort of what your flow of energy is throughout the day when you should be doing certain tasks. And I've always found that interesting coming from a software development background. I was always more of a night owl in college and in my early years in the workforce, and I wrote my best code at night because, you know, that's when I would have all the great ideas, but in the mornings, I didn't want to get out of bed before 10 o'clock, and then as I got a little bit older and had kids, I found, you know, that flow started to shift. I was a lot more productive earlier in the morning, whereas, you know, towards the end of the day, I... uh you know, tired, and I need to kind of recharge. So the book is really, really interesting. He does a really good job going into all aspects of the science of timing. He even talks about the best time during the day to work out based on the outcome that you're looking for. Really interesting stuff. Do you find that now? Or are you most creative in the morning? Or is that something that's still for you is at night? So it's interesting. I find that I'm most productive in the morning because I'm a lot more focused, but I think I'm creative later in the day 
because that's when I'm not, everything's not top of mind and I have a little bit of time to decompress a little bit, I guess. So, uh, you know, I, I guess my kind of my, my flow, my psychological flow as it was kind of works like that. For me, it's I am a night owl, but for creativity, it's got to be in the morning. And, you know, they always say you really have about four hours a day of being creative. And that for me, if I'm going to write, I have to start it in the morning. If I wait and start writing at two o'clock or three o'clock, uh, it's painful for me. It's just hard. It's never as good. So it's interesting I, about that. I don't have to check out that book. Well, audience, we want to hear from you. You've been great with social media, but after every episode, we want to hear your feedback. So reach out to us, send us an email. The best way for email is send us an email to podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Obviously, hit us up on social media. For me, Instagram and Twitter, my handle, Ryan Smith FLA, or reach out on LinkedIn. And the easiest way to find me is Ryan Smith Marketing on LinkedIn. Or of course, you can just type in Araxum on LinkedIn. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. On Twitter, you can find me under Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And on LinkedIn, you can find me under my name, Chris Caselli. You can also find me under Araxum or, of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And on that note, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.